verse 6. John chapter 4 and verse 6, you can follow along as I read. The word of God says, Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, set thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is this that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of living water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, Sir, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast now hast is not thy husband, in that thou saidst truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I believe that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit, and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this tremendous portion of scripture. Uh, so many truths in this Bible account, so many uh, life-changing doctrines we could look at. But today, as we look at, at the truth before us that you've laid on my heart, I pray that you give me the words to say, give us understanding, the Holy Spirit of God, teach us. Lord, we pray if there's uh, one listening that hasn't drunken of that water of eternal life, that they would choose to get saved this evening, and they would trust you, and confess their sins, and trust in your death, burial, and resurrection, uh, believe in you as their Savior, and be saved. But Lord, we pray for all of us. The Bible says here that you're looking for something called true worshipers and that we must worship in spirit and in truth. And I pray this evening you'd give us insight into that. Change us, mold us and shape us into thy image, not just at this moment, but for the rest of our lives and for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What an amazing account in the scriptures. I took time to read the whole uh, story, at least the beginning part of the story up to our text. So I'm not going to go back and retell all that. But our text verses here, verses 23 and 24, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. 
God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Twice in two verses, Jesus says the same thing. Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, what does it mean to worship the Father in spirit and in truth? You know, worship is a vital part of the supernatural life. Uh, our theme uh, for this year in 2020 is about the supernatural life, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about the Holy Spirit and His working in us from the beginning of the year, and we will all year long. God intends the life of the Christian to be a supernatural life. Uh, lost people, they just look at what they can see, feel, taste, touch, hear. Their life is just this world. It's, it's a physical life. Even though they have a supernatural side to them, they don't acknowledge it. They don't, they don't understand it. Many don't even know it's there. Uh, but God teaches us that he wants us to have a supernatural life. We are supernatural beings. He made each one of us with, a, with an eternal soul. Eternal is supernatural, beyond the natural. So each one of us are supernatural beings, whether we know it or not. Once we get saved and we get born again through faith in Christ, uh, God allows the Holy Spirit to come in and indwell us so that we can live a supernatural life, a beyond the natural life. We have opportunities as Christians that lost people don't have. We have access to spiritual things that lost people don't have access to. And the, the point of this year's theme is, I fear that most Christians are living a basically earthly life. Some Christians don't even know the Holy Spirit lives in them. They don't know what the fruit of the Spirit is. They, they don't know how to pray. They don't know how to let the Word of God speak to them. There's so much of that supernatural life that they're missing out on. They're basically living an earthly existence. And well, that, that's part of the enemy's trick. That's part of Satan's trick. We're at war against the world, flesh, and the devil. Imagine if Satan could, could convince the warriors that there's not even a war, that there's not even a battle, that they have no weapons, there's no reason to fight. And the, the best thing you could do is go to work, get some money, so you could go eat out, buy some toys, and, and spend all your spare time on the couch binging Netflix. I mean, man, that, that's life. And then when you're done with that, go out and play with your, uh, with your toys and shoot your guns and get in your boats and your four-wheelers and get out and drive around in the, the car that's too expensive for you. I mean, that's the real life. And that's how too many Christians are living. And the goal for this year is to remind us all that there is a supernatural side to this life. As Christians, we have one foot in this world, but we also have a foot in the supernatural world and your eternal life doesn't begin someday. Your eternal life began the moment you trusted Christ. Eternal life is something you possess now, today. And you have gifts and benefits and opportunities as a child of God that the rest of the world doesn't have. And so our goal is to help us live in that supernatural life. Worship is a vital part of the supernatural life. But the idea of worship has been hijacked by carnal Christianity today. Many people believe that worship begins when the rock band starts to play. They've been so conditioned that the, the praise and worship team is, is what worship is. And get some people up here and, and some drums and some guitars and some people up here crooning in their skinny jeans and $80 designer t-shirts. And man, that's when the worship starts. Well, that's not biblical worship at all. The problem is, if you don't understand 
true worship, you cannot commune with God as He intends. You can't walk with God as He wants you to if you don't understand what worship is. And the message today reveals what our Lord meant when He told the woman at the well that true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Consider this. If there are true worshipers, then there must be false worshipers. There are some who believe they're worshiping God, but they're not. Let that sink in. They believe they're worshiping God, but they're not. And I'll show you later how God rejects sinful and self-willed worship. Just because you call it worship doesn't mean it's pleasing to God. And so what is true worship? Do you worship correctly? Do I worship correctly? Am I a true worshiper? I want to be. And hopefully you do as well. So let's dive in this evening. First, we must decide on what is worship. There are two meanings of the word worship in the biblical sense. So I'm going to give you a definition and then a, a Bible verse to support it. And we're going to move on. What is worship? Worship is to adore honor and reverence God with extreme submission. All right. Worship is to adore, honor and reverence God with extreme submission. Worship is not just adoration. It's an adoration with submission. It is. I understand who God is and I adore him. I reverence him. I respect him. But how in the world can you respect God for who he is without being humbled? Anybody in the Bible that saw God or even an angel of God and who they thought was God, they fell at their feet as dead. Their strength went from their body. They were immediately humbled physically, spiritually, emotionally. And whenever you come into the presence of God in true worship, it is a humbling experience. And so... The first meaning of worship, to adore, honor, and reverence God with extreme submission. Our verse for that is Exodus 34, 14. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. He says, for thou shalt worship no other God. Now, it's wrong for you and I to be jealous. That's a sin. It's not wrong for God to be jealous. Uh, some people have asked me before, boy, God, God sinned here. What is that true? Can God sin? God's jealous. I was not jealous for God because God deserves the worship. You don't. God deserves the praise. You don't. See, I can be jealous for my wife and it not be a sin. She's my wife. You can't have her. And if you ever tried, boy, you'd get this right here. You don't even want to know. I have a black belt. From J.C. Penney, and I am not afraid to use it on you. I mean, it, see, it's not wrong for my wife to be jealous of me or for me to be jealous of her. It's not wrong for me to be jealous of my kids. Those are my kids. I want to protect them. I want to take care of them. It's not wrong for God to be jealous of what belongs to him. But we're often jealous for things that don't belong to us, things we don't deserve. So it makes it a sin. And so God is jealous of his worship. It's a big deal to God, and we certainly don't want to steal his glory. The second definition for worship we find in the Bible is to perform religious service. So to go through the motions 
of worshiping God? What are the actions that are associated with worshiping God? For example, going to church is considered uh, a part of worship. Now, it's not biblical worship alone. The truth is, biblical worship, the, the, the most uh, significant definition, is a personal act between you and God, not something public. However, the uh, public rites that go along with religious service, the, the performance of religious service, is a type of worship. John 4.20 says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And so, following through, uh, coming to church is part of worship. Uh, praying is part of worship. Reading your Bible is part of worship. Sharing the gospel is part of worship. All of that is included, but the most significant meaning for worship in the Scripture is that personal adoration, honor, and reverence to God with extreme submission. And as I said, worship in the Bible is typically a private act between an individual and God. Now, our text that we read identifies three kinds of worship. And again, I'm just going to mention this to you. I'm not going to dwell upon it. First, we see the ignorant worship of the Samaritans. Uh, Jesus told the lady, the woman at the well, ye know, uh, ye worship, ye know what not, in verse 22. Jesus said, ye worship, ye know not what. This is the ignorant worship of the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans had the first five books of the Bible. They were a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles that would know something about Judaism, but they worshipped God in a mixed style with paganism. It was Judaism mixed with paganism. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see at times Israel would still worship God, but they would add Baal worship, add worship to Ashtoreth, Molech, whatever, and God would say, unacceptable. Why? He's jealous of his worship. Don't worship any other gods. I'm God, alone, Isaiah told us. Uh, and so there's the ignorant worship of the Samaritans. Next, we have the intelligent worship of the Jews. Jesus said, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. So the Jews had the full Old Testament revelation of God. Yet through millennia, teachers of, uh, and traditions, they had lost the spirit of what God taught them originally. So they had a more full revelation of what God intended, but it had been corrupted over time. Uh, the Jews have these books that talk about the law, over 6,000 volumes that talk about what the law is and all these different teachers. And that's why when Jesus showed up, they didn't even recognize him. And Jesus began teaching them, you say the law says this, but here's what it really means. You say the law says this, but here's what it really means. They had lost the true spirit of what God had taught them. And then we see the third type of worship is the spiritual worship of the Christian. Jesus said, the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You see, through the shed blood of Christ and through the new birth, the Lord would pave the way to true intimacy with God through the indwelling Holy Spirit and the complete word of God. Now, we want to be part of that group that is the spiritual worship of the Christians. There's a lot of people that still today try to worship God, but they do it ignorantly. There are some today that they have all the knowledge and they have a lot of facts about God, but they're still not worshiping God correctly because they don't have the spirit of what God intended. They're not worshiping in spirit and in truth. But then there are those who we want to be a part of 
those that worship spiritually as God intends. Now, this verse basically teaches us that we must worship the Father in spirit and the truth, that there must be harmony between God and the worshiper. There must be harmony between God and the worship worshiper. If we're going to worship God, we have to be in tune with God. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't mean we try to get God to tune in to us. It means that we have to tune in to Him. We make changes and adjustments to tune in to God. Uh, so much of the world today wants to try to pull God down to their level, create a God that exists the way they want Him to and that agrees with them. That's a, that's a false God of your own making. We ought to not allow, try to pull God down, but we ought to allow God to pull us up. He's trying to make us like Christ and, and form us and shape us into the image of the Son of God Himself. So there must be harmony between God and the worshiper, and that harmony takes place when we tune in through the Spirit and the truth. So let me make three statements, and we'll be done this evening. Number one, we must worship God in spirit. We must worship God in spirit. Now, why? Why do we have to worship God in spirit? Because God is a spirit. Isn't that what the Word of God says? John chapter 4, verse 24. God is a what? Spirit. Capital S. God is a spirit. We know we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is a spirit. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says... Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so God is a Spirit. The Bible goes on to say, no man has ever seen the Father. Hold your place here and look back at John chapter 1, 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, Father, he hath declared him. So Jesus Christ told us no man has seen God at any time. You say, wait a minute, preacher. No, I know times in the Bible where they saw God. Correct. But every instance where they saw a representation of God or God, it was the son that they saw. It was Jesus Christ, the son. No man hath seen the father at any time. No man has seen the spirit at any time. It's Jesus Christ, the son of God in the flesh, who manifested God, who demonstrates God. We have seen Jesus. We haven't seen God. And so every bodily appearance of God was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Colossians 2.9 tells us, For in Him, that's Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus Christ is the only part of the Godhead who has a body. He's the only part of the, the Godhead that is visible. All the Old Testament appearances of God are known as Christophanies. Uh, that's a fancy theological word. Uh, Christophany is an appearance of Christ before the incarnation or after the resurrection. And so anytime they saw a bodily representation of God in the Old Testament or before Jesus Christ came to earth, it was still Jesus Christ. He is the bodily representation of God Almighty. Now, God is a spirit. That means he's invisible. First uh, Timothy one seventeen says, "Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory for ever and ever, 
Amen. So now we're beginning to see why we must worship God in spirit. We have to worship God in spirit because he is a spirit. He's not made of stone. He's not made of wood or gold or silver. He's not something you can lay your hands on. He's bigger than all of that. Now, they that worship God must worship him in spirit. Uh, How can we worship God in spirit? So God's a spirit. How can we worship God in spirit? The Bible teaches that man is a triune being. We have a body, a soul, and a spirit. God is a triune being uh, with a Father, Son, Holy Ghost. We have a trinity as well, body, soul, and spirit. And our spirit is what communicates with God. It is our spirit that spiritually connects with God. Now, an unsaved man's spirit is dead due to sin. We've talked about this a lot here. Uh, But lost people, they only have a body and a soul. Their spirit is dead. That's why they can't have a relationship with God. And let me tell you, if you're not saved, if you're not born again through faith in Christ, going to church doesn't get your relationship with God, getting baptized, doing the stations of the cross, lighting candles, uh, keeping sacraments, uh, eating wafers and, and drinking juice, none of that, helping old people across the street, dying and giving all your money to some entity, none of that can resurrect your dead spirit. A lost person, an unregenerate man, ha- is spiritually dead. They can't commune with God. Their only hope is a spiritual resurrection. And that happens through the new birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. And that new birth is whenever we believe in Christ, just like Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, our spirit, the dead spirit of man, comes alive again. We are a new creature in Christ, and our new resurrected spirit now can communicate with God who is a spirit, and the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within our spirit. There's a lot of theology there. But it's also a lot of good stuff. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So the word quickened just means made alive. You hath he made alive who were dead. All right? It is our spirit that communes with God, and only those who have been saved through faith can truly worship God in spirit. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the beautiful verse, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so I I implore you today, if you've never been saved, this is the time to trust Christ. Today is the day of salvation. You are dead. You are one heartbeat away from an eternal hell and damnation in hellfire forever. Why in the world would you wait? Trust Jesus today. Bow your head, bow your heart, confess your sin, tell God, that you're a sinner. Tell him you know he's the Savior. Put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Trust him, and he'll save you and keep his word. See, there must be a harmony between God and the worshiper. And because God is a spirit, we must worship him in spirit. Now, because God is a spirit, and because we worship him in spirit, this means that worship was no longer limited to a certain place. Look at back at John chapter 4. And verse 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. He had just told her 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 history with men and her current living situation. And then she says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. 
The question of where to worship has been long disputed between religious sects for thousands of years. Uh, some people believe you've got to worship towards Mecca. Some believe you've got to go up to some Himalayan mountain and, and talk at a temple there that, that your place has an effect on how close you can be to God. Uh, the Jews believed they were to worship in Jerusalem, as the Scripture taught. The Samaritans believed they had a place just as good in Mount Gerizim where they should worship. Uh, Albert Barnes, in his commentary notes on the New Testament, he says, quote, Mount Gerizim, but a little way from Sychar, which is where this well is, on this mountain they had built a temple somewhat similar to the one in Jerusalem. This was one of the main subjects of controversy between them and the Jews. See, the Samaritans said, we don't need to go over to Jerusalem. We don't like you Jews anyway. We've got our own place to worship. It's kind of a counterfeit temple. Similar, but not the same. Well, does that remind you of anything today? A lot of people want to worship God similar to the Bible, but not the same. And it's unacceptable. Uh, We need to worship God on His terms. Uh, So she brings up a doctrinal question when he brings up her sin. And I couldn't chuckle in my study that sinners are still doing this today. If you bring up someone's sin, they want to argue about doctrine. It's fascinating that the drunkard wants to debate the meaning of the Greek word for wine. The pothead misquotes a Bible verse about herbs in Genesis. The backslider perverts the fact that God looks on the heart using it as a shield against scriptural rebuke. Isn't it interesting that sinners want to start debating doctrine when you bring up their sin? It's so much easier, folks, if when we get backslidden, if we get into sin, it's so much easier to just humble ourselves. So much easier to just uh, humble yourself, repent, confess it, get it right, and go on. Amen? Now, our Lord wisely answered her question. He said, okay, if you want to talk about that, I'm going to teach you an even greater spiritual truth. And he teaches her that God is a spirit, that God is not confined by space or time. God's everywhere at the same time. This means that as we worship God in spirit and truth, that our religious activity is not confined to a certain place or time. How many Christians live one way during the week and then they come to church and present a different way? No, we should should live for God all the time. Now, some people would look at this and say, and I've heard this before, every preacher has and some of you have, uh, maybe with a a backslidden family member that didn't want to go to church, and they'll say, I can worship God anywhere. I don't need to go to church. You ever heard that? "I I can worship God out in the fishing boat. I can worship God out in a deer stand. I can worship God on the golf course. And the truth is, they could. But they don't. You ever hear anybody out on the golf course singing, All to Jesus I Surrender? You ever hear anybody out in the deer stand reading their Bible, praying, saying, Oh, God, thank you for saving my soul. Now they're out there with buck fever, got deer urine all over them, and everything else they're not thinking about god crazy the truth is and and here's why it's so important why we get church and worship in the right place you don't just come to church to worship god 
Some of you are like, whoa, let that sink in. You don't just come to church to worship God. Does some worship happen at church? Yes. But the main function of church is not worship. That's why at our church, I I don't get on to other churches that do it, and sometimes we'll have people come, and sometimes I'll even say it just because it's a vernacular. Uh, We don't call our church services here worship services. We don't have Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening worship. We have Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service. Why is that important? I think it's an important technical, yes, but an important distinction that we don't come to church to worship God, although some worship happens. We come to church for several reasons, as outlined in the scriptures. How about learning the scripture? How about encouraging one another to love and good works? How about keeping a a good profession of faith and not wavering? How about giving your tithes? How about preaching? How about serving God? See, going to church isn't just about worship. And people say, well, I don't need to go to church because I can worship God anywhere. Yes, you can worship God anywhere, but, but Sunday night church isn't just about worship. And the truth is, if you're not willing to go to church, I'm sure you're not out worshiping God the rest of the week. Because if you're not surrendered enough to take a little bit of time out of the 168 hours God gives you, and you won't take a little bit of time and, and, and spruce yourself up a little bit, grab your Bible, walk in the church house, and put yourself under the, the preaching of the Word of God and singing songs and the fellowship of God's people, how in the world do you think you're going to have a strong profession out there? It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen. People have a fundamental misunderstanding when they say, I don't need church. There is no place in the Bible for the Christian to be disconnected from the local church. It's not even a thought. It's not even a question. But see, a a false definition of worship is corrupting. It can corrupt your music. It can corrupt your philosophies about God, it can corrupt your philosophy about the need for church. So we're talking about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So true worshipers must worship God in the spirit. Now, it's a beautiful fact that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Let me show you a few verses here. Uh, John chapter 14. So how do we worship God in the spirit. Well, we must worship him in our spirit. That means we must be born again and have our spirit resurrected. We must worship God through his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit connects us to the Father. So John chapter 14, verse 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Then look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So we worship God in spirit and truth, and we find out the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And then John chapter 16 and verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, 
For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So we find that the, the Holy Spirit of God and God's truth cannot be separated. In fact, there's a beautiful little verse, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6 says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And this is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Isn't that beautiful? The Spirit is truth. So he's not just the Spirit of truth, he is truth. Just like God is not a God of truth, or of love, he is love. And so the Spirit is truth himself. So when we talk about worshiping God in spirit and in truth, we must be worshiping God in our spirit through the Holy Spirit, but that is connected to the truth of God. Now, what is the truth of God? And that moves us on to the next thing. We must worship God in spirit, but now we must worship God in truth, the Bible says. Now, some believe the word truth here simply means sincerity. And although, uh, of course, I wouldn't, Uh, deny the fact that we must worship God in sincerity. Other Bible verses talk about that, but I think this verse is teaching much more than you just have to mean it when you worship God. Uh, There is this truth that God is talking about. Now, popular culture believes that truth is relative. In fact, they believe that everyone can have their own truth. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Oh, that's your truth, but that's not my truth. Or they'll say something off the wall and they'll say, well, this is my truth. No, that's stupid. That's dumb. Just because you call it truth doesn't make it make sense. Uh, There is God's truth. Now, the Bible teaches that truth is from God and that God's truth is absolute, universal, and unchangeable. So when God's talking about truth, he's not talking about your truth. He's talking about the truth, the truth. Now, what is the truth? What does it mean to worship God in truth? And consider these three things. First of all, the Bible says that Jesus is truth. The Bible teaches, uh, First John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that Greek participle there for the word the means the one and only. So it's like saying, I am the one and only way, I am the one and only truth, I am the one and only life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so it adds more power to that. Uh, He is the only way. Jesus Christ is the exclusive way to God. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's not one way. He's the one and only way. Amen. Now, the scriptures teach us again that our access to God, the Father, is through Jesus Christ. I'll just read this for you. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. So we have access to grace and to the Father through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.18 says, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. So it's through Christ, through the Spirit, we have access to the Father. So once again, To worship God in spirit and in truth, you must be born again. You have to go to God through Jesus. Jesus is the truth. When you trust the truth, the the Holy Spirit comes in and resurrects you. So twofold, you cannot worship God unless you're truly saved, according to the scriptures. So much more we could say about that. 
Some people say, well, I believe in God, I just don't believe in Jesus. I want you to look at, at John chapter 5. <clears throat> John chapter 5 and look at verse 23. Look at verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which sent him. Now wait a minute. The Bible says you can't have God if you reject Jesus. You can't have the Father if you reject His Son. You say, well, I like you, Pastor, I just hate your children. That's probably not going to be okay. I like you, I just hate your wife. Or I like your wife, I just hate you. No, it's pretty much a package deal. And you can't, you can't have this work around and say, oh, we honor God, we just reject Jesus. No, if you reject the Son, you reject the Father. And so, Jesus Christ being the truth, you have to worship through Jesus Christ and through faith. Then we talked about the, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. You can't worship God in truth without the Holy Spirit. We've already talked about that. God must be worshipped in truth. But consider this verse, John seventeen seventeen: Sanctify them through thy truth. Boy, I just wish God told us what his truth was. Oh, the rest of the verse. Don't you like how God does that? He says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Bible defines itself. What's truth? The word of God. This means that you, if you're going to truly worship God... You have to worship Him through the Son, in the Spirit, according to the Word of God. God's Word is truth. Self-willed worship is condemned throughout the Scriptures. Corrupt worship in the Old Testament was illustrated by groves and high places and the mixed worship of, of Jehovah plus idols. This has been condemned since the beginning of time. There is no debate. If you want to worship God, you must come on His terms. You must follow His plan. You say, well, I'm just going to worship God my way. No, you won't, because it's not worshiping God. It might make you feel better. You might have some religious actions that bring you some sense of security, but you are not worshiping God Almighty if you are violating His holy word. In Malachi's day, the priests were cutting corners in worship. And God was not pleased and would not accept their offerings. I'll just read this for you. Malachi chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or will he accept thy person? Saith the Lord of hosts. And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us, this hath been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle the fire on my altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. God says, I reject your worship. I reject your offerings. Stop going through the motions. It means nothing to me, God says. That's pretty powerful words. 
what were they doing? According to the passage, they were cutting corners. They were supposed to bring God of the first fruits, but instead they would bring him of the worst fruits. They would find the worst animals and give those. They would find the worst of what to give. They would give their last and leftovers. Things they would never give to their boss or uh, some type of leader because the leader would to their face say, that's ridiculous. Why are you giving me that for? But yet we give God our leftovers and we think we're doing him a favor. We worship God our own way, cutting corners, violating his word. And we pat ourselves on the back saying, man, I, I, I talked to God today. I did this today. And God says, I refuse your sacrifices because you're not doing it my way. See, if you want to be a true worshiper, you have to worship God in truth. And his word is truth. Any perversion of worship by preachers or people is unacceptable with God. And I have to say, some church services today look more like Baal worship than the holy worship of Jehovah. Some Christians do what they want, when they want, living a wicked life in rebellion. And they add a little worship on the side and call it good. And God says, I reject it. I don't accept it. You say, preacher, what do we do? All you got to do is humble yourself and do it God's way. See, it's so simple. It's so simple that if we just confess it and forsake it and get it right with God, he accepts us back immediately. James chapter 4 says, draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. You get close to God and he'll get close to you. God's not sitting back and he's going to give you the cold shoulder for the next 18 months. He's saying, listen, get it right. The blood of Christ is there. He told Cain, the sin offering is by the door. Do what you know to do, Cain, and I will accept you. And Cain said, no, if you don't accept my offering, then you you can't have me. And God said, so be it. And all Cain would have had to do is humble himself and go over and offer what God wanted. And for us, it's so simple if you remove the pride. And we just say, Lord, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Is that your heart today? Lord, just tell me, tell me what to do. I, I want to worship you the way you want. You ever go to your loved one, your wife, or your husband or a child and say, hey, what do you want for Christmas? It's not that you couldn't just buy them something, but you want to get what they want. Or someone comes to you and says, hey, what, what, what do you want? What can I do for you? What would mean something to you? See, I want us to have the type of relationship to God where we go to God and say, Lord, what's your preference? Mm-hmm. So many Christians are trying to figure out what they can get away with. And what's the, what's the least amount they have to do? There is no healthy relationship on the planet that functions that way. But we go to God, Father, what would make you happy? What can I do to please you? The last thing I'll say is, this is so tender to me and so sweet from the heart of God. Jesus said the Father is looking for such to worship him. Think about that. Verse 23, John chapter 4, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Can you see the tender heart of God? God is looking for true worshipers. 
Can you sense the Father heart of God seeking a relationship with His children? I want to be close to you. I want a relationship with you. I just need you to come on my terms. The Father seeketh such. Do you worship God in spirit and truth? Well, now we can. True worship is in the spirit and truth. This means that all spiritual worship must be from our spirit in the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ according to the scripture. That's what it means to live or to worship in spirit and the truth. Let's strive to live in worship to God every day. Amen. It's not a chore. It's a heavenly father saying, I want you to be close to me, but here's how you have to come. And may we have the heart to say, yes, Lord, that's exactly how I'll do it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the opportunity to talk about you this evening. Lord, we covered a lot of ground doctrinally, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would give each listener uh, a truth for them to latch on to, grab hold of. And Lord, that you'd remind us through your spirit about what it means to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, help us to have that tender heart of a child that says, I want to please you, Father. Help us not be rebellious or hard, but help us to honor you, not just with the words of our mouths, but with the thoughts and intents of our heart. Thank you for salvation. Boy, the the gifts and the benefits of salvation are extraordinary. Thank you for allowing the Holy Spirit to live within us and giving us a supernatural life if we want to live it. I pray you'd help us to do so. Bless each person here. Bless those listening. Protect us. Provide for us in these difficult times. Give our governmental leaders and police and judges wisdom. And Lord, that you would give us wisdom on how we should order our steps as a church, as individuals. But we honor you. We praise you. We worship you. We adore you. We surrender to you. For thou alone art worthy of all glory and honor and praise and blessing. We love you. Give us a great night. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that's a blessing to you. Covered a, a lot of ground tonight, but what an important